0: Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging, objective truth. Here is the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton.
1: Thank you, Suzanne. A special programming note about today's episode. The topic we will discuss is very sensitive. We will, of course, refrain from any profane language, and we will, of course, pursue the topic from a Christian perspective, but this is a sensitive topic. I'm very pleased to welcome to the program today the founder of Scarlet Hope, Rochelle Starr. How are you, Rochelle?
2: I'm good. Thanks for having me.
1: You bet. So your ministry is in Louisville. And it's been a pretty rough summer in Louisville. Even national news has covered how rough it's been in Louisville. How are you all doing there now?
2: Some parts of Louisville have calmed down and There's still, you know, protests going on, but it's not as bad as it was. And I think, I know that there's less and less protests going on at this point in Louisville.
1: Well, that's encouraging. Hopefully, uh, people have seen that actions have been taken to try to correct some of the problems that led to tragedies.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: you founded Scarlet Hope 13 years ago. Would you tell us how and why you did?
2: Sure. I was working in a corporate, um, I was in advertising marketing in Louisville and I would drive from Southern Indiana where I lived. Um, My husband worked at a church up there down to Louisville. It was just about six miles. And on that six mile trip, I would just ask the Lord to give me a people. Esther has always been a book of the Bible that really impacted me and influenced me. And so I wanted to be used by God for my life, and I, I would ask the Lord on my way into work every day, God give me a people, send me somewhere. Let me do something meaningful for you." I was driving into work one day in May of 2007, and I heard the Lord say, "Rashaw, I'm sending you to women that are in the sex industry." And I at that exact moment, I was passing a theater X that was up in Clarksville, Indiana. And I didn't know anything about the industry. I didn't know anything about that world at all. So that's how I knew it was from God. Cause I wasn't thinking that I was, I hadn't researched or read a book or heard anything about it. And as soon as I heard the Holy spirit say that to my, to my spirit, I was like, yeah, that's exactly what Jesus would do. So I called my husband. I told my husband that the Lord was sending me in to minister to women that were in the sex industry. And he, to my surprise said, that's exactly what Jesus would do. And from, it was history from there. um, We began praying outside of strip clubs. Um, A friend of mine and I would drive out on Tuesdays and we would go pray at Theater X. We would pray at strip clubs. And we would just pray for the Lord to open a door because we didn't know what to do. We didn't know how to minister to them. We didn't know how to reach them. And the Lord just, over the course of a year, began opening doors for us to be able to minister to the women in the industry.
1: That's really encouraging. And it reminds me of uh, something that's been evident as a thread through these interviews that I've been doing with this little podcast. When things seem impossible, that's when God is really working. And I think also when things don't make any sense from our perspective, uh, we know God is up to something good.
2: Amen. Amen. Yep.
1: You have added Scarlet Hope Ministries in other cities as well. Uh, Where are they?
2: We first started in Cincinnati, which is just a couple hours away from Louisville. And then we went to Reno, Nevada, and we're in Las Vegas, Nashville, and we will be planting in Miami at the end of this year, Miami, Florida.
1: I like that you have hope. In your name, our pastor has emphasized the importance of hope, of course, uh, and he has a common illustration that he uses. uh, He says, human beings can survive for about 40 days without food, about four days without water, about four minutes without air, but hardly even four seconds without any hope. What is the key to the hope that you provide the women whom you serve?
2: I love that question because when the Lord first called me to minister to the women, I didn't understand the tragic loss of hope that I would be experiencing when I went to these women. And that loss of hope is covered in the blood of Jesus Christ in that hope. And that's the hope that we bring is that his blood covers all of our sin, not some of it, all of it and it covers all of that that loss of hope that the world and walking in darkness has. And so when I when I named the ministry Scarlet Hope, it was truly out of the representation of the blood that was shed for our sin gives us hope. It gives us hope in the cross and eternal life when we trust in Jesus and so That is the hope that we are sharing all over in every city, in every strip club, in every massage parlor, on the streets. That's the hope that we want them to find their hope in.
1: That's very powerful. This program is called Core Principles, so I'd like to emphasize what hopefully is obvious, the core principle that every human being has great worth uh, and is beloved by their Creator and Lord. It's a tough subject that you deal with, and I did a little research to try to prepare for the interview. Some estimates are suggesting that nearly 50,000 people are trafficked in the United States annually, and that over half are minors. How do we ultimately correct that scale and that horrible of a problem?
2: You know, I heard the Lord say years and years ago that it was by one person at a time. And if you look at the magnitude of the issue, which the exploitation and trafficking is the second largest globalized industry in the entire world, second to the drug trade industry. And so when you look at the gravity of that, it's huge. But I know that only I can have impact on one and that may even be an impact of telling someone or asking someone to join our ministry in reaching one and so now we've reached two and so it's really just disciples making disciples and and i truly believe it's by one woman at a time and we're seeing a great i hate to use the word success but we're we're seeing god work in mysterious and amazing ways by reaching one at a time so that, that's
1: my answer to that. I, I like that. And it reminds me of a ministry we have here in Paducah, Kentucky called Starfish. And yeah. I think that the name comes from the story about people walking on the beach and seeing a lot of starfish at needing help, needing to be tossed back in the water. And one of them starts tossing starfish back in the water. And the other one cynically observes, you, you can't help them all. But he says, yeah. so I'll help that one.
2: Yeah, if we, if, we, if we look at the problem and we say, well, there's too many, I can't do anything about that, then we've, we've not only been deceived by the enemy's lie, but we have, I guess as a Christian, we don't understand the power of Christ is in us to reach one and that one reaches one and then the multiplication of that. Um, and so I love watching God, you know, reach that one starfish.
1: Now you have a really strong ally in the President of the United States who has focused on arresting the kind of criminals who traffic, uh, particularly minors. Uh, In his first month of office in 2017, he motivated law enforcement agencies to arrest over 1,500 such criminals. And that, I did the math on it, is a rate 45 times higher than previous years and months. So. That's powerful. And he has kept at it. Even in 2020, uh, there have been many notable successes uh, rescuing many hundreds of victims, uh, particularly children, in recent months. I'm wondering, does Scarlet Hope get requests from legal authorities for assistance?
2: Yes. The short answer is is yes, we do. We are not politically motivated. Um, we're gospel motivated but the fbi in kentucky that is over the trafficking division i invited them to come and see our organization and our ministry and the director of that the detective that is over the trafficking um department for kentucky all of kentucky he said to me there is nothing like your, what you're offering not everybody has to believe in you know or she he said I know not everybody believes in Christianity, but there's nothing like what you're offering. And can we partner together? So we have a very close relationship with them. And they refer and they cross check uh, victims with with our um, different platforms that we use to reach women. And we're able to provide a better service for, for victims of trafficking and exploitation in Kentucky because of it.
1: That is good. And it's also encouraging. When I was deployed in Afghanistan briefly, I noticed that Great Britain was lead nation for trying to get uh, Afghans away from the opium poppy mm. manufacture and distribution. And the way they would go about it was to try to give them and offer them other alternative sources of income and some sort of commerce that they could engage in that was more legitimate. Yeah. Um how have you used that principle with Scarlet Hope?
2: We offer career development for the women that we meet. And, you know, I started the evolution of Scarlet Hope. You know, I didn't necessarily start out to create an organization. But the more I listened to the needs of the women and the more that I looked at what is subjecting the, them over and over again to this Industry and this trade, I looked at their work. And, you know, I believe in that God calls us to work. He gives us skills, He gives us gifts. And so, what we've done at Scarlet Hope is take something that the enemy uses for evil, and we've taken a new work and their skills and their gifts, and now they're employed through our ministry. And it's a it's a 12 to 14 month program where each of the women go through life skills classes, gospel-centered parenting, finances, everything is gospel-centered, but it's also trauma-informed so that we can make sure that the women that come into our program learn about themselves and what caused them to keep, you know, to go back into the industry or to continue in that industry. And then towards the middle of their program, they get to work in a trade that they would love to work in long term. So it could be advertising and marketing. It could be hospitality. It could be a bakery. It could be various trades. And we partner with places and we we walk alongside the women as they work there for a certain period of time. And it's been absolutely amazing to, again, redeem work, redeem their skills, their gifts, and how God created them um, to provide for their families.
1: Do you keep track of uh, the the graduates, if you call it that, from your program to see how they're doing uh, after the fact and see that they're not backsliding or being drawn back into uh, things that are harmful?
2: Yeah, we have a pretty good aftercare program where the women, actually it's been really, really awesome the a lot of the women come back and serve in the ministry so they become volunteers or they become mentors to other women in the program and so that's a way for us to connect them to the ministry and to to help support them but it's also a way for them to give back and we also offer counts ongoing counseling case management There is not a day that goes by that I don't walk into the office and one of the graduates is in the office who's coming back to be around um, the ministry. And this becomes their family and their community, and we, our team tries to support them as much as possible afterwards.
1: That's very encouraging. I'm thinking of uh, other ministries that deal with other life-controlling issues, and particularly substances. And one of the most difficult challenges for the folks who are going through that is breaking some of the associations and close friendships with people who are influencing them in destructive ways. Uh, Is that equally a challenge for the folks going through your program?
2: Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, when, when all you've known is a network of people that potentially are bad influences in your life, It is hard to break away from those things. And, you know, some of those people are family members. What we teach at Scarlet Hope, though, is it's sort of a wraparound approach. We ask the women when they come into the program to pick one or two influences in their life outside of the ministry. And we bring those people into the fold so that we can help coach, encourage, and nurture better relationships and better decisions and what ends up happening through the process is the women in our program they begin to see safe people non-safe people they begin to see christians non-christians they begin to see their choices as good or bad that is a problem and so you can be lured away by easily by your network of people and so um, we begin that process nearly on day one And by the end of the program, they have built a new network of people that God has brought into their life. And then the people that are still outside, you know, of the ministry understand where that person wants to go, how much they've grown and can be supportive in that way. But at the end of the day, you know, the women have a voice and they have a choice and we allow them to make those choices and use their voice. But along the way, we try to teach them how to use their voice for God's glory and His kingdom and right choices.
1: You mentioned networking, and you also, on your website, scarlethope.org, mentioned uh, that you collaborate with other ministries. Can you give some examples of what those other ministries are and what they do?
2: Sure. I mean, we have two different types of like networking that we do. But specific to the Career Development Program, we partner with housing. That's something that we don't provide anymore. We did at one point and we decided that there were other people focused on just that, that were doing it better than we were doing it. And so we partnered with them. Um, Refuge for Women is is an example of that. They're in Lexington. We've partnered with them many, many, many times. Drug rehabs and detoxes. There's a place in Louisville called the Healing Place and it is for drug rehab. And so we We partner with them. We partner with Family Scholar House for college education. We partner with Salvation Army with them for lots of different resources, cars and jobs and all sorts of housing needs. So, you know, Scarlet Hope really has tried to take a holistic approach of looking at each woman's whole life. And we know we can't be everything to her. And so we try to partner and connect her and network for her and with her to get the resources that she needs. There are a lot of things that we do provide, like her employment. We help also provide child scholarships. And so we partner with daycares that are healthy and that are good. And we scholarship women to get into good daycares for their children. There's just so many partners. On the other side of our partner in networking is um, I, I love collaborating with other organizations and I love learning from them. But we also do a lot of coaching and networking. So over the course of the years, I've probably been able to collaborate and partner and coach nearly 200 ministries around the world to carry out this this type of mission. So we just love networking. We love partnering. We think it's the way to go.
1: I also really love that synergy, and uh, especially when believers share burdens and successes. In fact, the organization that I work for uh, is a charitable foundation, and our motto is to bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. So I really appreciate that approach. Well, 2020 has had uh, some very unique challenges, Rochelle, and I wanted to ask you how those have affected Scarlet Hope.
2: Yeah, 2020 has been a very interesting year, I know for everybody involved. Um, it's really had two great impacts. And the challenge and the, I would say the negative impact of 2020, I, I have a hard time ever really seeing anything negative because you can learn from everything. But the Scarlet's Bakery retail stores ended up closing in May of, t- of this year due to COVID. As a nonprofit, as a ministry, retail operations for a restaurant are very costly to begin with. And then we were shut down for several weeks. Then we were put to a certain percentage of use and time. And it just, our ministry, we could not afford to keep that open in the midst of all of that. And so in May, we decided to shut the bakery down and move to an e-commerce model. So we do make baking mixes and we ship them and it's all online. We'll take that as far as the Lord wants to take that. And it still gives women employment and it gives them a track um, if if they're coming into the ministry and need a place to work. It also gives them skills and training as well. But The other side is that the strip club closed for a considerable amount of time. And so we were asking God like, okay, so we still want to reach women. We still want to go. We still want to help them. So how do we do that? And by God's grace, Clay, 13 years of service to the women in these clubs, they knew where to come. So we have served more women at our resource center than we've ever served before. Um, Hundreds of women and their families have come to the center for groceries, for clothing, for care, for counseling, all sorts of things. And we've been able to keep that up the whole time COVID has been going on. And even though the strip clubs have opened back up about a month ago, month to two ago, Um, We now are serving, uh, we drop off gifts again and food again at the clubs. But there are still some severe restrictions on, on that, the bars and the clubs. So we're just trusting God that the women will find their way to us and that we'll continue to find our way to them. We have online text outreach where we reach women online that are being exploited or trafficked. And that has been an amazing way during COVID. God already set that up in 2019 for us. And we've been able to just take that full force and reach more and more women. So God's been good to us, even though COVID in 2020 has been a very difficult year.
1: I'm reminded of something else our pastor reminds us of frequently, uh, the passage that says that we know God uh, works all things together for the good of those who believe in him and love him. Those all things things. are not always uh, pleasant things, but God is always good.
2: Yeah. And rejoice in all circumstances, you know, this has not been a great year for a lot of people. Many people have lost their jobs and people have died and all sorts of things have come our way in 2020. And I was struck by the scripture that says in all things, rejoice in all circumstances. And so, you know, I think that's this too, I think in 2020.
1: Well, thank you so much, Rochelle. That's uh, very encouraging. And hopefully the listeners, as I have, uh, really been uplifted and encouraged by the message of hope that you're sharing. I, I thank you for your time. I thank you for the ministry that you are doing and for answering God's call and and really for seeking out His will to do. Uh, that's very much a, a great, powerful example for all of us.
2: Well, thank you for supporting us and being just a a kind, generous group of individuals and we are so thankful we couldn't do it without you all as part of this kingdom work.
1: Yes ma'am.
0: Now it's time for our special historical segment featuring a practical example of how core principles are applied.
1: On the 22nd of September, 1881, President James Garfield died. He had been shot in the back on the 2nd of July, but lived 11 weeks beyond that attack. Ironically and tragically, it was not the bullet that killed him, but the unfortunate assumptions of the physicians and their lack of sufficient medical technology to see what had really happened with the wound. The doctors repeatedly tried to remove the bullet, but never found it while Garfield was still alive. Keep in mind that at that time, surgical instruments were not sterilized, and doctors did not disinfect their hands as they do in modern practice. They performed two operations on President Garfield, one of which did not even include anesthesia. By the eighteenth of August, Garfield was showing signs of blood poisoning. He had lost eighty pounds and was delirious. His face was partially paralyzed. President Garfield had let his caregivers know that he wanted to return to the Jersey shore and die at home. Workers built a special railroad spur and had a rail car cooled with ice for the president to be transported there. But on the 19th of September, an artery that had been nicked finally burst, and there was no recovery possible. When the autopsy was performed, the examiners discovered that the bullet had been encapsulated by scar tissue and was not life-threatening. The assumptions to the contrary led to the unnecessary and, ultimately, deadly surgeries. Even President Garfield's suffering was nothing compared to that of Job recorded in the scriptures. We often allow ourselves to imagine that the struggles we face are the worst suffering possible, but of course, we lack perspective in that. C.S. Lewis wrote of this phenomenon in his short book, The Problem of Pain. He noted that instead of asking, why me, when we suffer, we should more appropriately ask, why not me? Do we imagine that even as followers of Christ, we should be immune from the tribulations of this fallen world? Indeed, we may observe that it is in our toughest times that God reveals himself most intimately to us.
0: Core Principles Podcast is produced in Paducah, Kentucky by Real Productions. Music is by Late July